Where are we? 57? Two, well, it's... Depends on your edition, but it's just go to 215. 15, oh my goodness. Yeah, we just finished through 14, the, the tolerance verse, how we have to tolerate. Basically, the context is Krishna's in about 20 verses, he's uh, dismantling Arjuna's arguments of why he shouldn't fight in the war. And it's basically. Um, He's trying to reorient him to a spiritual conception and get rid of his bodily conception. So this goes on very methodically. Although in this text 15, it's the first time Krishna mentions some kind of uh, spiritual goal. Okay, so let's start with Dr. Kaylee. With 14? Yeah, uh, 15. O oh, best among men, Arjuna, the person who is not disturbed by happiness and distress and is steady in both is certainly eligible for liberation. Amen. Krishna now mentions for the first time a spiritual goal, liberation. By performing our prescribed duties, karma, we obtain knowledge, jnana, which is a prerequisite for liberation. Yeah, so... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute before I ask. <laughs> um, it's my uh, usually, usually you hear the word liberation in connection with an impersonal liberation, mukti, like muktananda. So uh, there's different kinds of liberation. There's five kinds of liberation, and Lavanga knows them. So we're going to ask her for the five kinds of liberation. I don't know who is Sanskrit. It's all right. But one is to have uh, the same opulence as the Lord. What does that mean? Like, um, to have his, all his, like, bridges, basically. Well, not to his degree, but we have the same, uh, just in the short form is we're eternal, full of bliss and knowledge. So we, we're, we regain that eternality, blissfulness, and confidence. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the same on the same, but like same residence. Yeah, same place as Krishna. That's two. And then one is to. Uh, gosh, because you're asking. Same. What? Same body? Same yeah. body. Same, same form. body. Yeah, same form. Same form. Sarupya, yeah. And then the other one is. Like, it's like in associate. Yeah, I'm forgetting the math. Samipya, you become a friend. You friend, become a friend. associate, personal associate. I'm trying not to mix it like with the with the Rosses. Yeah. <laughs> because those are going to it now. Yeah. Okay, so, and then and then and the fifth one is the one we don't. Well, the fifth one is the one that we don't. Um, yeah. Except with just to merge with the. And that's the one that most people think liberation means, just to merge into the light, like that. Yeah. So. Okay, so, uh, but this kind of liberation is different. Borjan comments, by performing our prescribed duties, karma, we obtain knowledge, gyan, which is a prerequisite for liberation. So before we can become free, we have to first of all recognize we have a problem. <laughs> like I mentioned, what do they say in AA? They stand up, my name is so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. So we first have to recognize that we're in an awkward embarrassing situation here, where spirit souls sunk into material bodies. So just recognizing that is uh, 
what are they saying? It's half, you're halfway clean and sober if you recognize that you have a problem. Yeah, so you can improve. Okay, so uh, there were hands up. Uh, we were just, both me and Lavanga had the same comment. Ours is different than what she read. Oh, okay, so read your, because you have the newer, so let's see how Gurijan. Krishna once more, it's just, I mean, it probably it's, means it's very minor. Yeah. Points yeah. the same, I guess. Krishna once more instructs Arjuna to tolerate and perform his duty and attain liberation. But performing our prescribed duties, we obtain knowledge, which is a prerequisite for liberation. Okay. Alright. There are some differences to point Yeah, well, that's yeah. just editorial. We'll ignore those. Yeah, some of them uh, he does uh, in the new edition, from what I understand. I, ha- I don't have it. But there are some, there's some fine-tuning, uh, philosophically fine-tuning, too. Okay, so... I just have a question. So I'm just still having trouble understanding the link between doing the duty and obtaining knowledge. So for Arjun to, his duty was to be a warrior, right? Yes. So how does that lead to obtaining knowledge? Well, this in general, if we hear, just aside from the specific of, of doing it, well, we can bring in that, too, but if we hear something and then we try it out, then we actually get, we get realization that, that what I heard is true. Just like I have a map. Okay, it says if I go here or go there, then I'll get to that. And then, oh yeah, so I'll do that. And then, oh yeah, there's that, that's what the map says. So your experience uh, reinforces what you've heard, theoretically. So in Arjuna's case, um, so was it, read the mind again? Read it. By performing our prescribed duties, karma we obtain knowledge, jnana, which is a prerequisite for liberation. Yeah, so so your question is, how is knowledge a prerequisite for liberation? Can I jump in? Okay. Um, so when we do our prescribed duties, we are in correct alignment. And so when we're in correct alignment, then the, then the nature of what we need to, to know becomes known. Okay. Right? Yeah, we're act- and also, always remember Krishna, <laughs> that he's in the heart. So when we do something, now in this case, in our case, prescribed karma, we're not doing karma. We're not doing ordinary karma, we're doing Krishna karma. So when we do devotional service, Krishna karma, then Krishna is pleased. And we actually feel that reciprocation, that we're doing stuff that's actually helping his project of reclaiming people back to Godhead. He likes that. He, oh, so nice. you're so nice. <laughs> keep sweeping the floor. Keep uh, painting, the bed, painting, the, painting the walls. Keep doing whatever your prescribed duty. We all have different duties. Um, so that's freeing. Yeah, that frees us from the, uh, the mentality of trying to do our own agendas. Okay, that makes sense. Like that. <clears throat> I mean, I... It took me a long time to understand that too, because like before I was associating with the devotees, I read the Bhagavad Gita and I explained that to a lot of people. That, you know, I tried to like kind of apply the, the knowledge, but I couldn't really understand what it meant until I was able to be uh, hearing from the devotees and be like in a, in a group of people practicing bhakti yoga. It's like when I think of Krishna says in another verse, he says that one who performs someone else's duties is dangerous. It's dangerous yeah. to perform someone else's duties. Yeah. But the idea, from what I understand, the idea is that. You're born with a particular type of body, and you have a particular, like for instance, uh, you know, if you're born as a chatriya, you're naturally inclined to war and to, to commanding, to, to uh, leadership position, to uh, fighting and protecting people. If that's your natural constitution, then 
you have, uh, you know, in a Christian conscious society, you have elders, and you have uh, people who are, you know, spiritually enlightened to help guide you, and you are more aware of your own position as a chaturya, so you act in that way as, as a uh, as an offering to Krishna. Whereas if someone like in our society where we're so off, we're just trying to gratify our senses. Well, if I if I become a doctor. Uh, I can get I can get a lot of money and have a happy life. You know what I mean? There's no desire there yeah. to be a doctor for helping people. I don't got that inclination. I'd rather play music, but I'm going to be a doctor just because I want to make money and gratify my senses more. So it entangles us in all kinds of horrible. Yeah, you need a guide. You always need guides for sure. Yeah. Okay. So. Yes. Um, I can't remember when I heard it, but. We did is that like if you if you simply chant Hare Krishna that this Vedic uh, research is like kind of unnecessary because you've got the conclusion of Vedanta. Well, that's true. If if you're that advanced that just by chanting Hare Krishna you're so you're you're so attentive to the mantra and so inspired to serve by the mantra that you don't need anything else. Most of us need reinforcement from a lot of different angles because we, have, we bring a mixed bag of karma, and so we need, we need, some, uh, yeah, we need some other kinds of evidence <laughs> to reinforce what Krishna is saying. Although, that, yeah, that's true. Uh, it says in the Shastra that just by chanting Hare Krishna once, you can get rid of more karmic reactions, sinful activities, than you could even ever commit. But what's the quality of that kind of chanting? Wow. Uh, that's that's pretty rare. Most of us, it's very gradual that we come to the level of pure chanting. And that's why Prabhupada gave us a completely well-rounded program to engage all of our working senses, all of our knowledge-acquiring senses. It's, it's a very full uh, program. Did you want to say? Well, one last comment under that. Mm -hmm. You've asked Jivananda Prabhu that question. He, he always says that pretty much the same thing that uh, chanting, you know, Prabhupada gave us the, the philosophy, he said chanting is not enough without the philosophy unless you're able to chant purely with no offenses all the time, you know what I mean, and be like completely pure. So it's like we kind of have to have the philosophy, because a lot of times if you give someone, it's kind of by crew, and as you said, you, know, I've, you can give people with a lot of kirtan, but that doesn't make them necessarily immediately give up sinful reactive sinful activities and like, you know, really dark activities. The the kirtan in combination with the prasadam in combination with the philosophy is like the full picture. Yeah. You need all the help we can get. Okay, so no, but you're done? Sixteen. Sixteen. Those who are seers of the truth have concluded that of the non existent, the material body there is no endurance, and of the eternal, which is the soul, there is no change. This they have concluded by studying the nature of both. Krishna again rebukes Arjuna. Seers of the truth recognize the difference between the body and the soul. Indirectly, he tells Arjuna that despite his previously scholarly words, he has not understood things as they are. Krishna clarifies the truth by offering two propositions in this verse. Number one, nasato vidyate bhavo, and number two, First, the material body and all material situations are temporary. They have no actual existence. Second, only those things that are sat, eternal, truly exist. Yeah, so that makes you blink. It makes me blink. 
when I first read it. What do you mean that this bar doesn't exist? Come on, come on. It's here. But it, it means from the absolute point of view. Just like you, we look up in Tucson and once in a while we see a cloud. Oh, maybe it will rain. Forget it. But then you look again and it's gone or it's moved or it's... So from the absolute point of view, that which is really, really real, eternally, is, it doesn't go away. So the Vaishnava philosophy is not that temporary things aren't real, despite how it may look from this verse. Uh, it's that they're true because it's, it's Krishna's energy. You can't say any energy of Krishna's is, is false or unreal. Or, but it's temporary, that's all. So that's the Vaishnava perspective on existence, that uh, material things are true, but they're temporary. But because they're temporary, ultimately, they're not real. <laughs> and that's... that's it's like I'm look, we're looking at each other's bodies, right? And they're animated by us, the soul within the body. But these are very temporary manifestations of us. We've had other costumes, other personas, other lives. And it's completely different from what we're looking at. But this is, this is how it is now. And but it'll be gone. You know, in a hundred years, whatever elements making up our bodies, water and earth and blood and That'll all be back distributed. Hopefully we won't be recycled anymore. Hopefully we'll go back to Godhead. We keep recycling ourselves by our desires into these elements. So, uh, yeah, it's... So that's... And the reason Chris is speaking really heavy like this is because he's trying to throw down the gauntlet. Look, your whole paradigm is wrong. It's just based on this little spotlight of thinking that person's eternally Bhishma or Drona or... Or they're eternally your kin and kith, kith and kin. So, but this is uh, spelled out as we go on. And you'll see Krishna <laughs> in the next section that uh, Kirtan said he read ahead. Krishna starts preaching from a whole different angle, just the temporary, worldly angle. He's just trying to cover Arjuna, all angles of Arjuna's reluctance uh, to fight. So, is that clear, it's, it's um, kind of, yeah, it makes you blink at first. But. Okay, so 17. Joanne's going to okay. read. That which pervades the entire body we should know to be indestructible. No one is able to destroy that imperishable soul. This verse refers to Krishna's second point, Nabaho Vidyate Sita, in text 16. Krishna here explains the body-soul duality. After his brief explanation here, he will not mention this most basic point again in Bhagavad Gita. Krishna explains his first point, Nasato Vidyate Bhavo in text 18. Yeah, that's pretty, I, I read that, it's very striking. That's the only time in that verse uh, that this, the soul is, doesn't change yeah, But then the counterpoint is text 18. But are there any questions about that? Yes. So, so he says he says that in the Burjan comments that Krishna only explains the, the point verse 17 in this this right here that the that the rig, that the soul can't be destroyed. Mm-hmm. That's the only time he, he describes well, that whole Bhagavad Gita. The material. Okay, let's look at it again. Uh, he will not mention this most basic point. The basic point means na bhavo vidyate sataha. 
the body, soul, duality. Not quite that way. He'll say it in so many ways, uh, but not starkly, that, that contrast right in the same you know, two sentences. Yeah, it's just, he's just making an observation about the way Krishna is speaking. But the other, uh, the counterpoint is you can't save the body. That's in the next verse. So now, Dana, you want to read the next? 18? The material body of the indestructible and immeasurable eternal living entity is sure to come to an end. Therefore, fight, O descendant of Sarada. This verse reverses Arjuna's argument that by not fighting, he will save his family members from harm. Everybody, everyone's body must perish, for no material body has true existence. Fearing for the death of others is ignorance. The soul, the real person within the body, is indestructible. Right. So from both viewpoints, there is no cause of lamentation because the living entity, as he is, cannot be killed, nor can the material body be saved for any length of time or permanently protected. Now this doesn't mean, as Dr. Albert Schweitzer once complained, that this Vedic philosophy, it's the most world life-negating philosophy I've ever encountered because uh, it appeared to him, he must have read the Gita, but maybe not from a bullified translation or, or commentary, that, uh, that everything is just negative, right? There's nothing, per there's nothing quite real about this place, there's nothing lasting, don't worry, just fight and kill them. <laughs> so, uh, so Prabhupada, his response is, yes, we're very pessimistic, about material life, but we're very optimistic about spiritual life, and and it's it's just the reality. How could you be? How can you invest all your your hopes and your dreams in this? I mean, it doesn't work, right? It's just it's the laws of nature should teach us that that we can repeatedly we get old, we get sick, and we die. That's if we're lucky, and if we go through a whole. <laughs> course of life. So, uh, yeah, so, but, but why does someone like Schweitzer say that? Because he doesn't have any other uh, perspective. He has no idea of a spiritual dimension or a spiritual self within the body that even says that because he's chosen to just try to make the world, this material world, a nice place. It's a nice sentiment, but it's misplaced. We should use that. We should use that uh, sentiment to get to get ourselves and as many as possible into the real positive, which is the spirit. Yeah. Well, I just think we struggle with the whole idea of impermanence. Sure. I mean, I, I'm, I, that's what this is to me. It's just that accepting impermanence about everything. Yeah. Except the soul. Except the soul, and God, yeah. and and all souls. Yeah. I mean, that's what's really... We're all here at a costume party, a masquerade yeah. party. We're all masquerading as men, women, Americans, whatever. <coughs> yeah. And, but if, you, if we're really invested in that, then they don't, nobody wants to go there. Nobody wants to talk about death. Right. Which is why everybody's masked up. I just read um, <laughs> Prabhupada in the Nectar of um, Satsarupa's edition to his big book, where Prabhupada, where he was saying Prabhupada traveled when he was sick, nothing kept him down from preaching, 
that, oh, you're sick, doesn't matter, get out there. It's a battlefield out there, get out there, do it. So I feel COVID has shown us this. Mm -hmm. You know, those who really understand that, those who really don't understand that. What is this like, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is not a time to take a break for preaching. This is a time to yeah. really gear up yeah. as yeah. best as we can for in whatever way we can contribute. Yeah. Devotees are finding that too. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a boon. It's a curse and a boon. Okay. I was just going to say, you know, that, that, that comment of, uh, he's talking about, you said Dr. Schweitzer? Dr. Schweitzer, yeah. yeah famous you know, like, it's like that, that philosophy, it seems like before someone knows the devotees, it kind of seems like that people take up that nihilistic type of, they get nihilism out of the Bhagavad Gita, oh, well, it doesn't matter, it's just all temporary, you know, I should just do whatever I want. And I think that's because they're missing, they're, they're seeing the philosophy at the beginning, oh, I'm not my body, everything's temporary, it's all void, you know, whatever I do is kind of meaningless, but they're not taking the last part of the philosophy of, like, we have so much meaning in our lives because we love Krishna, and we're working for Krishna. And that, like, it takes it from, like, that impersonal part of it where, like, you know, the Buddhists believe everything's temporary also, but there's this, like, you know... So the Course in Miracles preaches the same thing. Yeah, but the I'm thing not is, a body, I'm free. But the thing is, is that there's a voidness there. Because if I'm not a body, I mean, I could just be like, I'm going to go on a killing spree, you know what I mean? And go... <laughs> <laughs> but it is an awareness, and it's all a ladder. I mean, every awareness we have builds on the next awareness. Yes. We aren't just born. We are not born on the lotus blossom. Right. So we have to work our way there. <laughs> Even Brahma had to do that. But, but you know, when we, work, when we find that, when we practice devotional service, like in the Bhagavad Gita, the conclusion is that, yeah, we're not our bodies and all this stuff, but serve Krishna, serve God. And when, in, in serving God, like dovetailing our actions to the service of God, then everything we do has very deep meaning, and we feel very satisfied in our heart. Yeah. As because we're acting as souls, not just knowing we're not our bodies. The Bhagavad Gita is so powerful. Like anything powerful, it can be powerfully used or powerfully misused. So Hitler was using the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, the Manhattan Project, the atom bomb, you know, they do something about the Gita, but something, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, that's why we need to hear this in Parampara from the pure devotees, so we don't, you know, go off half-cocked and do something crazy in the name of Bhagavad Gita, and that's happened in the history of the movement. Mm -hmm. So, I have one tiny question. What was Albert Schweitzer's claim to fame? I can't remember. Well, he was just a, a very... He was a scientist, right? He was a doctor in Africa. Yeah. He was what? A doctor in Africa. He yeah. went to Africa to serve the poor. Yes, <laughs> right. Very nice, you know, very well-meaning person, like Gandhi. But, uh, misplay. You have to go to, we have to go to the root. If we really want to do good for people, we have to go to the root of existence. Okay, so, 18? Or, 19? Me? Yeah. Neither he who thinks the living entity the slayer, nor he who thinks it slain, is in knowledge. For the self slays not, nor is slain. Imagine how that can be misused. The self slays not, nor is slain. Okay, it doesn't free. matter. This was Charles Manson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was also reading the Bhagavad Gita. Didn't matter, right? Go ahead, read the comment. Commentary by Gorytown. Srila Vishwanatha Chakravarti Thakur comments, The self is neither the subject of the act of killing nor its object. He who thinks that the soul is the killer, that Arjuna is killing Bhishma and others, 
and he who thinks that the soul is killed, that Bhishma and the others have been killed by Arjuna, are both ignorant. No one can truly kill or be killed. Krishna elaborates on this point in the next verse. Yeah, so the next verse is very interesting um, because it's that uh, you weren't in the Hare Krishna movement when the first edition of Prabhupada's Gita came out, but there were a lot of mistakes. And this verse, one of the foundational verses in Krishna's preaching, was, was mistranslated. And for years, we blithely parroted this verse according to an old translation, and it was wrong. So anyway, let's, let's look at this verse. Uh, Lavanga is going to read it. This is the Najayate thing that they like Yeah, this is the Jayate. And in fact, yeah, let's let's chant. Let's turn to your Gita. It's a big famous verse and Prabhupada quotes it all the time. And it's in a little longer meter. Where is it? Uh, well in my edition it's on page eighty six, but I don't know. It's two twenty. <coughs> Okay, so I'm going to say a line in a certain meter and tune, and then you can repeat. Najayate mriyate vakadachin. Najayate mriyate vakadachin. Nayam bhutva bhavitava nabhuyaha. Nayam bhutva bhavitava nabhuyaha. Ajo nityakshashvato yam parano. So let's all read the translation together. For the soul there is neither birth nor death at any time. He has not come into being, does not come into being, and will not come into being. He is unborn, eternal ever-existing and primeval. He is not slain when the body is slain. Here's how the first line read in the old edition, 1972. It read, For their soul there was neither birth nor death, nor, having once been, does he ever cease to be. What's wrong with that? It implies that the soul is born. Yeah, that there's a beginning. Nor, having once been, whoa, that's not our philosophy. Hmm. We're part and parcel of Krishna. Krishna is eternal, full of bliss and knowledge. Eternal means no beginning, no end. So we were naively just, yes, this is what the Bhagavad Gita says. For the soul there was neither birth nor death, nor having once been. <laughs> so anybody who's, I mean, I never encountered anybody who questioned that um, in, in our preaching. Nor did, nor did we, because we thought this must be the absolute truth. But there were problems with that first edition, and they, they came out eventually later. Okay, let's go back to Buri Chan's. So, Should I read the comment? Yeah, you read the comment. No. In Bhakti Shashi, they taught us a tune for the English. What's that? They taught us a tune for the English to memorize the English slogans. Oh, really? So this one goes, The soul there's neither birth nor death at any time. He has not come into being, does not come into being, and will not come into being. He is unborn, eternal, 
ever-existing and primeval. He's not slain when the body is slain. Well, that sounds strangely like our old roadshow tune. <laughs> Who was your teacher? Prabhupada. Oh, I wonder if she's heard Mandala on his old <laughs> She came up with a bunch of tunes for the... The Bhagavad Gita, I guess. Uh, I have them all over. I have them all recorded. <laughs> no, no harm. But uh, yeah, it always comes down to the teacher, right? Yeah. Okay, you gonna read the comment? Krishna clearly delineates the eternality of the soul. Now, Jayadevachite, the soul is not born and it never dies. The soul is aja, unborn, in the past, present, or future, and Shashwata, deathless. Again, Arjuna's fear of killing his guru is defeated. In this way, Krishna continues to dismantle Arjuna's arguments against fighting. Okay, any questions about that? Yes. Yeah. So I was reading for this first because it reminds me of this verse from the Ishupanishad referring to a potential threat to the soul. It's like, uh, whoever may be known as the killer of the soul. It's kind of like whoever that might be. Whoever may be, yeah, must enter into the world of the deepest regions of nescience. Okay, that's an interesting point. What does that mean in that verse? When the Vanga teaches that course, so it's, it's a different meaning of killer. It's killer of the soul, meaning like one who doesn't follow the principle of Ishavashya, which is the idea that everything inanimate or inanimate is owned and controlled by the Lord, so therefore should be engaged in his service to those who fail to follow this principle, they're killing, they're killing their soul, they're sending them down into the lower species of life. They're killing the soul's chances to recover its immortality. You can't kill the soul, but you're killing the chances. You're killing, it's, it's another word, Pashubna, which means killer of animals and killer of the soul. That's it's a like very spiritual, spiritual suicide. Spiritual suicide. You can't actually kill the soul, but what you can do is you can just totally ruin or kill, in a, in a sense, your opportunity to recover your life of eternal, eternity bliss and knowledge. So it sounds like it kind of means to say, like, degrading the soul. <clears throat> yeah, you're, yeah, exactly. You're degrading this, you're forcing the soul into this, yeah, the darkest region of ignorance, which, yeah could mean lizard life or <laughs> what demon life or lower planet life. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's an interesting translation. Yeah, Prabhupada translated like that. Well Atmaha. Yeah. It is. It's, that's literally what it's saying. Atmaha. But that's why again why you need a guru. Let you get Bewildered by the kind of apparent contradictions. <coughs> okay, so, uh -huh. 21. How can a person who knows that the soul is indestructible, eternal, unborn, and immutable kill anyone or cause anyone to kill? Krishna here offers a Gunagyan, knowledge. With this knowledge, he can engage in warfare, yet incur no sinful reaction. Srila Prabhupada describes why Arjuna should fight. Although the justice of the peace awards capital punishment to a person condemned for murder, the justice of the peace cannot be blamed because he orders violence to another person according to the codes of justice. Similarly, when Krishna orders fighting, it must be concluded that violence is for supreme justice, and thus Arjuna should follow the instruction, knowing well that such violence committed in the act of fighting for Krishna is not violence at all, because at any rate the man, or rather the soul, cannot be killed. 
So for the administration of justice, so-called violence is permitted. According to Srila Baladevi Dabhushana, Arjuna may think, granting that the soul does not die, still the bodies of the men called Bhishma and others are going to be destroyed in the battle. That is wrong because it will improperly deprive them of the happiness they derive from their bodies. Krishna explains to Arjuna the fault of this logic in the next verse. So this is a good example of how Borjan is connecting, and the Acharyas are connecting the verses. It's not just a random flow of, of words that Krishna is using to preach to Arjuna. He's, he's anticipating Arjuna's doubts and objections, and then he's covering them in the very next verse. This is kind of a heavy question, but it's been hidden down my mind for years. I never asked it. So, uh, like, in the heaviest situations, Arjuna's having to kill his guru, the Dronacharya. Yeah. Like, I mean, if I put myself in that position, you know, like, I wouldn't want to have to kill you, Prabhu. You know what I mean? Like, like what, and it, it's said throughout our scriptures and shastras and, you know, even in the, in the course, you know, throughout the, the cycle, of course, all kinds of things that, you know, we're supposed to view the guru as a representative of the Supreme Personality yeah. of Godhead. So, is this a, I mean, this is, so, like, according to me, like, everything that we would hear, this totally seems not okay right. to kill your guru, or right. to even, you know, even to disrespect your guru is, like, a great offense. So, he's going to have to kill his guru. Is the exception here that Krishna is telling him to do so? Yeah. Okay, and so Krishna's the ultimate. Supreme. Yes, because most of the time, good things, like dharma, goodness and dharma, beauty, all those good things, parallel bhakti. Most of the things we do in, in, in Krishna consciousness, you know, people could appreciate. You know, like we're, we're or like the restaurant is serving healthy food. Oh, you guys are good, you know. And whenever we get back to that church, we'll be feeding the disadvantaged again. So that, that's good, because they, they, at least they have a perception that we're good people. But sometimes, Krishna may ask us to do something which is totally radical. You know, and most of it, it I, I'm just trying to think of an example now, in, our, in Prabhupada's, um, anyway, Bhakti Thakur talks about this, how Bhakti and, and Dharma, they parallel one another, but it, the real test comes when Krishna asks you to do something that may, by ordinary morality, you know, not be good. Or I gave you the example of uh, Yudhisthira, or Krishna telling Yudhisthira, to call across the battlefield and tell him his son Ashwatthama is dead, which was which wasn't true. It was a lie. <laughs> so, uh, because Krishna knew the only way the Pandavas could really defeat the bad guys, the Kauravas, is if there was a little transcendental cheating going on. <laughs> so Krishna, at key points in the battle, he would say things that would that would give them an advantage because the the Kauravas had them outnumbered. And they had Bhishma on the other side. I've, I've talked before about how Bhishma gave uh, Yudhisthira or Arjuna, yeah, Arjuna, the, the hint of how to kill him. <laughs> Put Shukundi in front. He was a woman previously. I'll never kill. I'll never shoot in the direction of somebody who had been a, a trans, right? Somebody who had been a woman. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. And so uh, it's a. That was the only way he could do it. And then Karna's stuck in the mud, you know, with his chariot, and then Krishna says, now you kill him. 
Arjuna says, what? That's totally against Chaturya Code. Like, he's disadvantaged. I can't. No, you do it. So Krishna had key points. <laughs> Made it so the good guys would win. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's hard. See, we're also coming in the line of Lord Chaitanya. Uh, we're Gaudiya Vaishnavas, and especially because it's Kali Yuga, and Lord Chaitanya came not to kill people. Like, Krishna's on a battlefield here. You know, it's a big bloodbath. But Lord Chaitanya, he comes not to tell the devotees to kill people. <laughs> but he, he, he says, go out and, and kill the demoniac mentality with, with the sound of Krishna's holy names. It's a whole different ballgame with Lord Chaitanya. So it's even hard for us to relate to this just because of Lord Chaitanya's mood. Uh, yeah. But uh, there's things in the Bible where... Uh, was it Abraham? Mm -hmm. About what? He was in the Bible, yeah. About God told Abraham? Or to go kill me a son. Kill, yeah. Bob Dylan's son. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but it was a test, right? He didn't yeah, he stopped yeah, he didn't him right at the moment of yeah. slaughter. Yeah. So, that's the way it is, though. Because Krishna's vision of what's going on here and our vision... It, very often it's, it's, it's different. And as Dhanakila was suggesting, that, that what we have to do is make Krishna's vision our vision, because our vision gets in the way. So, but in the line of Lord Chaitanya, I mean, chanting and dancing and, and singing Hare Krishna, that's, that's kind of like the way we kill the demoniac mentality. And that's what Lord Chaitanya said in one scripture when Narada Muni went to him and said, My Lord, because Kali Yuga is going to be so bad. What are we going to do? Don't worry. I will, I will send, uh, you know, I'm going to, we're going to kill their demoniac mentality with the sound of the holy names and like that. Uh, but just be aware of that, that in some extreme circumstance, one can, or like Bali Maharaj, he, when his guru told him not to give Lord that beautiful little door, golden dwarf boy, Lord Vamana, three steps of land, the guru said, don't do it. If you give him one, he'll give him an inch, he'll take a mile. If you give him one step, he's going to take the whole universe. Because that guru was actually a self-interested guru. He wasn't a real guru. He was actually just living off uh, yeah, the riches of Bali. <laughs> but he was Bali's guru, Shukracharya. So he said, don't give that little that little Brahmin boy, that, that dwarf Brahmin, anything. He's gonna he's Vishnu. He knew he was he was a mystic. He could this is Vishnu. He's gonna take everything. So Bali said, No, that's good. He, he's Vishnu. I should give him everything. Everything belongs to him. <laughs> so there are extreme circumstances when we might when when the guru might ask us to do something which is ordinarily not um, it might seem illegal or unethical. I can't think of an example right now in our very careful Hare Krishna movement where we've been through stuff like that yeah. in the past, where we did a lot of illegal, unethical things in the name of... of we're, we're devotees, we're beyond that. Whereas Prabhupada himself was very law-abiding, and he was very uh, you know, careful not to do anything which would hurt the progress of Krishna consciousness. At the same time, you know, he would, he, would, uh, he would exhibit things that show that he was beyond that. 
But um, Lord Chaitanya was very, you know, trying to cause me. Well, Lord, yeah, Lord Chaitanya even. What did he do? He, he, he was the original protester. He was the original civil disobedience movement. 100,000 people. He disobeyed the law of the land. Which, because Akazi had stopped public Sankirtan. And so Lord Chaitanya... Yeah, actually, there is an example now in Prabhupada's Lila. Uh, the devotees in Australia were going out in public on the street corners, which was what we did. But then they were arrested, you know, 21 times. It was crazy. They'd always be thrown in jail. And so they wrote Prabhupada. They said, what should we do? They're always arresting us. And Prabhupada said, fight it, fight it. You have a right. Just go to jail and have kirtan in the jail. And they did that. And they drove them crazy. They drove the authorities nuts. Because even when they threw us in jail, we were like war fired up. You know, we, weren't, we weren't dispirited or broken or anything. We were like, Jai! You know? And Prabhupada was coaching him. Sending these pale blue aragrams as he flowed into the jail. You know? Prabhupada said, you can fight this. You have a right to do this. And they finally gave up. Prabhupada was right. They just wore him down. But he was telling him to break the law because the law... And I think, yeah, what happened was, yeah, the whole thing went to the city council. This is in Melbourne. And, uh, <laughs> and, they did, and then somebody stuck up for us in the city council who was a, a religious guy. And he said, well, look, they're just glorifying God. What's the big deal here? We get so much trouble with crime and drugs and you're busting these poor... You know, monks, these Hare Krishnas. And so they just, the whole thing turned around. Yeah. Uh, but Prabhupada told them to, to flout the law. <laughs> but that was, you got to be, you have to make sure you're right <laughs> with the Guru and Krishna before you do something like that. That's the dilemma. Uh, I was saying the whole Krishna's program started with devotees breaking the law. Like, mm. There's even a picture of the cops, I think, trying to pull Amarita off the plaza. <laughs> Yeah? Yeah. Oh. For, for distributing food. Yeah, it was illegal, you know. Right. Because of the vendors. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. You guys haven't run into that in here in Tucson, have you? For no. distributing food specifically. Mm, no. That's the restaurant. Because that, that happened to, to a friend of mine when I was homeless. He was also homeless, but he would panhandle from the other homeless kids, and um, and then he had access to a kitchen, and he'd make hot dogs and give them out for free, and oh, he yeah. was arrested, gosh, like five or six times by DPD. The health department. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, and he was just giving them out, and, and every time, all the homeless kids pulled their panhandling money and got them out. Uh, actually, it's going around right now in New York City. They have these things called something fridges. They're big fridges and it's all food that, they, that was going to be a throwaway that's still good and, they're, and because of COVID, people have lost their incomes, jobs, mm -hmm. and they need this. And this is not, this is people who ordinarily, you know, had nice homes and stuff. And so, uh, right now, so far, the law is looking the other way. Because <laughs> they knew there'd be an uprising if people were starving, you know. They'd start... Yeah. Uh, so. Yes. One last time, reverse the, the question I just asked. It's like kind of think like part of the understanding I have is that Krishna 
is God, you know. So God ultimately kills everybody. But the idea, time. the idea, yeah, the idea that that uh, Krishna is fighting for Arjuna. He's, he, no, he's not fighting, but he's on the side of Arjuna, and he's giving them advice as to how to win. Is that because love is the highest principle in, in all of existence, and in Bhakti Yoga, you know, it, it uh, embodies that love is this highest principle, and love of God is the highest love. That Krishna, out of love, protects his devotees, no matter what. Like the devotees protected. So Krishna, in the, in the case of in the incarnation as Krishna, he he uh, is protecting his devotees by giving them advice as how to win and how to beat the people who are torturing the devotees. You know, like the Kuravas do so many things to mm-hmm. kill them, hurt the devotees, and we're jealous of them. So so am I am I right in saying that Krishna doesn't you know break the the, the rules of Dharma unless it's out of protection or love for his devotees. And also what's best for the world. Like the very last verse of the Gita, I brought this up before, and I'm bears repeating, turn to 1878, the last verse in the Gita, Sanjaya. I'm going to have Michelle read it. Michelle's a very moral person, and she would never do anything that would be would reflect badly on the reputation of people born in Minnesota. 1878. 1878. I hope I never disappoint you. <laughs> That's my line. <laughs> there is Krishna, wherever there is Krishna, the master of all mystics, and wherever there is Arjuna, the supreme archer, there will also certainly be opulence, victory, extraordinary power and morality. That is my opinion. And morality. So Krishna is raising morality to the <laughs> highest level. It's not... It's ordinarily, spiritual morality includes material morality. Sometimes it just trumps it. Oh, excuse me. Excuse the word. <laughs> Sorry about that. Excuse the name. Surpassing it. Especially after last night's performance. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so, uh, so this is Sanjaya. This is Sanjaya. He's saying this is my opinion. In other words, he's, his opinion is Krishna's opinion. So wherever there is Krishna, there's going to be opulence, greatness, victory, amazing power, and morality. So uh, again, to be Moral in the highest sense does not mean to be beneath morality. It means to be actually be applying morality for the for the ultimate good, the greatest good. And sometimes we don't see it, you know. So that's the Guru and Krishna see it, and Arjuna he doesn't see it at this point. He's just how can you do this? Yeah. So that's the whole Bhagavad Gita. But the whole Bhagavad Gita is. Is for everybody the battlefield of life, and ultimately we have to um, do the right thing and not, you know, succumb to the lower self and the lower temptations. Okay, so let's. Okay, we've got a few minutes left, and we're not going to get through. Let's just do this. Um, let's see, where are we? Twenty-two. Uh-uh. Confused. I'm confused about my duty. Where's the, where are you? We are 22. 22? Yeah. Okay. Yes, this is the costume party verse. Costume party. 
As a person puts on new garments, giving up old ones, the soul similarly accepts new material bodies, giving up the old and useless ones. Changing bodies is inevitable. Again, Arjuna's refusal to fight will not protect Bhishma, Drona, or anyone else on the battlefield from having to change bodies. Thus, Arjuna's reasoning is once more defeated by Krishna. Yes. Huh. In your edition, it's, it's cast in a passive way. We, we have the active voice here. Thus, Krishna once more defeats Arjuna's arguments. <laughs> yeah, Bhishma, he ended up... How did Bhishma end up after the battle? He died on a bed of arrows. He died with his arrows on. He died like a warrior. He died with his boots on. He just died in this mystic yoga way. And how did Drona die? He got his head chopped off. Got his head chopped off. But before he got his head chopped off, what? Oh, he sat down in like med- mystic like meditation and went out. Yeah. He just... It's a whole... Leela of how, why and how it happened, but before he was beheaded by Drishtajumna, he had left up the Brahmarandra at the top because he thought his son was dead, and that just totally dispirited him. And uh, then somebody else had to become the next general. So I think it was Karna after Drona. Was it Karna? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. He, said he, went in, he went in Kuala Lumpur Yes, yeah. right. So Bhishma, Bhishma, Drona, Karna, yeah, it evolved from there. Okay, we're almost, we're so, let's see. Yeah, I'm surprised, that was just a a short comment there, but I guess it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, we're continually taking on new dresses, giving up old ones. So why is it that in my, if someone sees my baby picture, they will see somebody who's changed his body, let's see now, wow, more than ten times. If you take every seven years, there's a new body. All the cells replace themselves. But still, if you look, I have pictures in my room. Can I show, I show you those baby pictures? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so why is it that when you see little Dickie Hall, age three, with his, he's got a little suit on, a little... <laughs> Why is it? Did you recognize any part of me there in the picture? Maybe when you were a little bit older. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always recognize the eyes. Like, I didn't yeah. recognize Madhavananda this morning in the back of the room by the wall. But then when he peeked his head in before class, then I recognized his eyes because I haven't seen him since 1997. Wow. Yeah, 23 years. So that's three bodies ago. So why, but why do we, um, but why do we, why do we resemble, this is talking about, you know, the final change is death, but why even in this lifetime do we recognize people? I think um, as we stay consistently ourselves and we hold on to this idea of what we think we look like, unless we like radically changed how we perceive ourselves in our mental state or our body. That's harder. Yeah. Most of the time I can recognize people even after you know, 40 years. But sometimes, yeah, people have, by their choices, they, they make them, they've done things that really change their subtle and gross bodies so I can't even recognize them. They have a different look in the eye, even a different mode. 
But, but usually you can see, because the eyes are called the windows to the soul, mm -hmm. usually you can recognize the same person even if the person's, not, even though the person's changed bodies. Is it actually in scientific literature that the eyes don't change? They don't grow anything? Well, the cells must change. At different rates, I hear different organs change. Now this is seven years is like an average of the organs. Okay, so next time we're going to pick up, we're going to do 23 through 30, and I'm sure we'll just have time just to go through that, because today we only did, what, eight, and then the next verses are very chock-a-block, chock-full of uh, philosophy. All right, thanks for coming. Thank the later you. sessions are shorter, though. So, like, like the next session... <coughs> These 23... Well, I'm talking about... It's, we're in the same section. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying, like, from, from this point on, after we finish the section, it seems like each section is a lot shorter. Uh, some. But some are a little longer. Okay. Shiva Bhopad, Ki Jai.